Welcome to the Bounty Zero X podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Adam, founder and CEO of Bounty Zero X. Bounty Zero X is a decentralized bounty hunting network powered by the BNTY token. <laughs> Today is February 13th, 2019. My guest on the show is Ryan Rodenbaugh. Uh, Ryan's business development lead at Trust Token, and prior to that, he was an investment analyst at Blue Run Ventures, and he's an alumni from University of Arizona. Uh, so, Ryan, welcome to the Bounty Xerox podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. And Arizona State, I wouldn't want to be confused with U of A. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Arizona State, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> Ryan is an uh, Arizona State uh, alumni. So tell me a little bit about uh, Trust Token and uh, True US Dollar and uh, what you guys are working on. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, Trust Token is a general asset tokenization platform. And the first asset that we've tokenized is TUSD. Uh, you know, so the US dollar. You can think of TUSD as True USD or as tokenized US dollar. For now, TUSD is mainly used for trading on exchanges, um, you know, but hopefully will be used for many other things down the road. So can you define what a stable coin is for those of us or our listeners who have heard the term but don't know exactly what it is? I mean, aside from what the, the name implies. Yeah, certainly. So a stable coin would be you know, I don't know that there is an agreed upon definition, but I would say at least a stable coin is something that holds value relative to something else, right? So you could be stable relative to the dollar, to the euro, to, uh, you know, anything, frankly, you know, any other currency or, or real asset. And in our case, TUSD is stable relative to the U.S. dollar. So stable coins have... Uh... So, sort of an interesting history in the cryptocurrency space, and I think that there's definitely a need for for stable coins because of the fact that the value of uh, the tokens that are not stable fluctuates so widely, and therefore makes it difficult for those tokens to be used for business purposes, like long-term contracts or just as stores of value that maintain. Uh, uh, a stable uh, value over time. So the benefit and sort of the, the feature of stable coins is that they can be used uh, for these purposes. Uh, and so it, over the course of the cryptocurrency evolution, there was, you know, first Bitcoin followed by a number of other coins. And I think the first stable coin was uh, the uh, US dollar tether. Is that the, as far as you know, the first one? Yes, the, there might have been another one, new bits around that same time, but you know, basically forgotten at this point. Uh, Tether launched, I think, in some point in 2014, but really didn't rise to prominence until you know the the bull run that started in 2017. But, yeah, so so one of uh, the uses of Tether was on like exchanges on like Poloniex and other exchanges where it was used. Uh, as a, a margin asset, as a, a trading pair to, that you could trade on margin against. Um, and um, it's had somewhat of a notorious history. 
Um, it's been linked, I think, with uh, Bitfinex, and uh, they recently moved to Bermuda. And there's been some questions relating to the whether it's actually an asset-backed token and what uh, and and how stable it will be if there is some type of uh, you know risk uh, in, involving the uh, legal framework underpinning the the tether. Do you have any thoughts on on the tether token as a whole and and uh, some of its shortcomings and and what your thoughts are overall on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I've got many thoughts on on uh, Tether, but I think if I had to kind of sum it up in in you know one one bite sized thing, it would be back in October, the price of Tether fell down to eighty five cents, and if you'd been tracking you know the OTC prices of Tether for the couple of weeks prior to that, you'd seen that the quotes had been getting worse and worse. So let's say in August of August of 2018, for example, if you went to an OTC desk and were selling BTC for USDT, you'd get quoted USDT pretty close to a dollar. And then in the weeks in September and early October, you saw that falling down to 0 0.999, 0 0.998, 0 0.997, uh, all the way down to like 0.995 in some cases, which is you know very very low for something that's supposed to be supposed to represent one dollar. Then you know, in like October 15th or something. The price of Tether across exchanges crashed down to 85 cents. If you know that that just like in my mind completely completely broke the idea that Tether was a good and reliable stablecoin. The whole, you know much like money as a whole, the value of stablecoins staying at a dollar is largely psychological. If you can't actually redeem the stablecoin for one U.S. dollar then it sort of loses the the appeal of being a stable coin. And I think that that's what happened with Tether around that time. People stopped believing that they could actually move from USDT into USD, and people lost faith in it. And so what, we've, yeah, seen sorry. we've seen the price come back since then, but still, I mean, people have their doubts. Yeah, and so what do you think was the impetus for that uh, fear of being able to redeem um, because they they seem to have some lack of transparency, and the, from my understanding, as an outsider just reading the news, there was a lot of uh, like lack of transparency and communication, and a lot of uncertainty as to uh, what was going on behind the scenes at the U.S. dollar uh, tether. Um, so do you know anything about what type of business and their framework as a stablecoin compared to some of the other stablecoins that have been released since then? Mm. Yeah, so you know, yeah, I, I also don't have any sort of insider info of what's going on there. I wish I did. And I, I feel like one day it'll be a great book or movie because it's, it's definitely an interesting story what's ever going on at Tether. But, uh, you know, yeah, on the transparency side, that's definitely been their issue. You know, sort of back in January when we announced TUSD, one of the things that we really focused on was the fact that Tether had done such a unique job of proving out that there was a massive market for a dollar-backed stablecoin, but at the same time had really corroded trust with people in the industry because they had failed to produce, you know, any sort of proof that proof of funds, basically, that the funds backing Tether were actually held in the banks. 
then the fact that they kept getting kicked out of all the banks that they were with also didn't help add trust to people in the community. And then lastly, the fact that they didn't allow people to redeem for U.S. dollars uh, really scared people because that, you know, it's it's hard to overstate, but the ability to move from stablecoin back into the asset that is pegging it is really what keeps it stable in, in such a meaningful way. And so I think those three things sort of corroded trust that people had with Tether. I don't know what happened on that day in October where the price went down to 85 cents, but I wish I did because uh, that was uh, really such a shocker. So moving to today, uh, there have since been quite a few other stable coins that have entered the market and uh, offered some type of uh, improvement or uh, or some type of uh, are acting as competitors to uh, U.S. dollar tether. But uh, even to this day, uh, U.S. dollar tether remains the the market leader in terms of market share of the stablecoin market. So I, I think I saw a graph, which I can link to in the show notes so that our listeners can take a look at it, of the four or five different stablecoins. And it looks like uh, at least 70 to 80% of the market share is uh, US dollar tether. Uh, have you seen that? And, and is, or are you familiar with that graph? And what are your thoughts on the fact that uh, U.S. dollar tether, tether is still the the major uh, market share uh, uh, holder of of the of all the stable points. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely speaks to you know the sort of network effect that Tether has established. Just you know, almost any exchange that you go on is going to have trading pairs denominated in USDT, and as a result of that. So many people either have exposure to Tether directly in their, you know, in their trading, you know, being held offline, you know, sort of like as a as a digital bank. And, you know, you really can't overstate the liquidity that Tether has across the board. So Tether, I think I haven't looked in a a while. I think the market cap of Tether is maybe something like two billion or two and a half billion. And the daily volume can be anywhere from like two to three times that. So Tether will turn over $4 billion worth of Tether daily in, in on-exchange trading volume. That is, that's really pretty unprecedented. I mean, most days it's doing, you know, it's only second to BTC in terms of the amount of trading volume. So that is definitely something that's been difficult to overcome. We've been doing a you know, really great job of growing the market cap steadily over the past couple months, along with meaningfully growing liquidity. But just to really put it into perspective, Tether can do $2 billion worth of volume a day. And for the month of February, we'll probably do $2 billion of trading volume over the entire month. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a long haul. Um, but, uh, you know, but, but we're in it for the long game. Yeah, so you guys uh, have recently hit the milestone of a billion dollar in trading volume. And I think that was back in October or November. And since then, you just mentioned that you guys are now doing around $2 billion in trading volume per month. Uh, and you guys are doing around 40 to $50 million daily volume. Is that still right? Or, or where are you guys daily volume nowadays? Uh, daily volume, I honestly, I'd have to kind of pull up CoinMarketCap real quick and check. I think we're averaging right now probably something like 30 or $50 million a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing 46 for yesterday. Uh, yeah, I think we hit an all-time high a couple of weeks ago of like 110 or something. But yeah, I, I'd, I'd say about um, somewhere between 40 and 80 is, is pretty average these days. Maybe it's about 60, medium there. And your escrow, so your outstanding minted uh, tokens is at around 210 million or 207 million currently. Yeah, we, we've been balancing between 200 and 210 for the past couple of weeks. And that number has been steadily increasing over the past few months uh, since you guys launched uh, pretty uh, rapidly. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the, the first big catalyst was back in May, we listed on Binance. And I think when we listed on Binance, our market cap was maybe 40 million. And you know, Binance has uh, you know done a lot to grow the market cap for sure, along with many of the other exchange listings. Um, and then also the October fifteenth crash of Tether, we saw a massive uptick from that point on. So, are those the the metrics that you guys are looking at in order to uh, measure success? Are you looking at the uh, outstanding uh, escrow accounts, uh, the balance, and then? daily trading volume and, and, uh, and monthly. Are there any yeah. other metrics you guys look at? Yeah, so, you know, market cap or, or TUSD minted is definitely one. Uh, you know, we're also always curious of places like, you know, where our counterparties are coming from. You know, are we expanding geographically? You know, so to begin, certainly most of our users were coming from the US. Now we're definitely seeing more users coming from, say, Asia, we're beginning to see a lot of up interest from Latin America. We see all those as, as promising things to track as well. But, you know, certainly market cap is king. Uh, and then volume sort of is a sort of an input to market cap almost. You know, the, the more volumes that you're seeing, the more TUSD that's turning over, the more people that are learning about it, uh, etc. Mm -hmm. So when looking at the different stable coins that are out there and and making a um, analysis of, of what makes a good stable coin uh, we talked earlier about transparency being uh, an important factor um, and then also the ability to uh, redeem the token one on a one-to-one -one basis for its underlying value so in the case of a, a u.s dollar stable coin you know one-to-one and then you also would want, you know, proof of funds so that, uh, you know, an independent third party can at any time do an analysis or an audit and see that the number of funds that you guys claim to have are actually there. Um, and then there's regulatory compliance, which is also another important factor. Um, so do you have any comments on on those factors and, and just overall what makes uh one stable coin uh what, what are important important uh components of uh, a, a, a stable coin yeah I, I think you nailed it there definitely of of those they're they're all important and i i don't want to uh you know i don't want to make listeners think otherwise i will say though that i definitely think personally and, and i i don't know if this is the company opinion but it's definitely mine that the ability to redeem and move back into a dollar is the most important of those. And so, you know, we can sort of go back and forth around, you know, who's the most regulated, who's the least regulated, who banks here, who banks there. Uh, 
in, in all cases, though, the ability to move back into a dollar is, you know, it's kind of like the cash is king kind of thing. Um, most of the people that are using stable coins these days are traders, market makers, arbitragers on exchanges. And the ability for them to move back into a dollar is key. And so, you know, we've seen a lot of press lately about, you know, some of the other stable coins, which I don't need to mention their names, but uh, that have been either blocking redemptions or making it difficult for people to move back into fiat. And as a result, we've seen people steer away from those stable coins. And we've, you know, definitely on the OTC side, we've seen their prices quoted way off of one dollar. So I, I think that that is the number one thing. You know, we can talk all day about, you know, all, all, all these different things that you mentioned, which are definitely important. I don't want to understate that. But at the end of the day, if someone tries to move a million dollars of stablecoin back into fiat and they can't do that, that's an issue. So what would be a reason why someone would want to issue or redeem uh, US dollar, uh, true US dollar through the portal? So you guys have a portal where users can log in and register and they can take their tokens, uh, their, US, their uh, true US dollar tokens, and then um, basically, I guess, burn them and then have the, the US dollar equivalent value sent to their uh, to their account after they go through the KYC process. And then conversely, they can, you know, generate or mint the new TrueUSDollar tokens through the portal, which is, uh, I think, like app.trueusdollar.com um, after, you know, completing the KYC. And then once the wire is sent, then um, the, uh, the funds are sent to the corresponding Ethereum address. So what is the, the reason why uh, a, uh, a party would want to go that route in order to uh, either exit or off ramp, on ramp or off ramp out of crypto or into crypto versus going to an exchange and exchanging for uh, U U U.S. dollar on like a fiat on ramp through an exchange by directly trading it with uh, like Ethereum or uh, or uh, you know another stable coin. Yep. Oh, and I just want to say our website is app.trusttoken, T-R-U-S-T-T-O-K-E-N.com. But yeah, so I think that the, the big reason why you'd want to do that is that let's say you went to an exchange that had BTC to U.S. dollars. If you e – either way you're going on that trade. You know, Let's say you move funds off of – you move BTC off of Binance onto Bittrex and now you want to go from BTC to USD on Bittrex. In the time that you're moving the funds from Binance to Bittrex, you're going to be subject to some sort of price risk, right? You know, moving funds off of Binance on to Bittrex, there's going to be confirmation times. You know, you're going to have to log in from one to the other. That could be anywhere from, you know, 30 minutes to 30 hours. You know, again, like the confirmation times moving crypto off of these exchanges can be very long sometimes. And in that case, I mean, the price of Bitcoin could go, could, you know, could move hundreds of dollars in that period. And so what you thought was maybe $10,000 is now you know, $9,500. By doing this with a stable coin, you can have a little bit more peace of mind that in the period that you're moving either US dollars into TUSD and then onto an exchange or vice versa, that you're not subject to that price risk. Um, it's also worth stating that our creation and redemption process is so, so, so seamless. Um, I would say that compared to any of the fiat exchanges, 
it's actually a lot easier of a process to go from fiat to TUSD or TUSD to fiat. Uh, on the USD to TUSD side, we actually just rolled out an update in our app where when you create TUSD, you can have that TUSD sent directly to any exchange or wallet that supports TUSD. All right, so let's just say, for example, you were going from dollars to BTC on Coinbase, but you wanted to trade that on um, Digifinex. If you created the, if you bought the BTC on Coinbase, you'd have to first have it, you know, added to your Coinbase wallet, then move it to Digifinex. With TUSD, though, since we have no exchange associated with us, we'll create it and send it to anywhere. And so that's very easy. Then on the redemption side, once you get set up with KYC in our app, every account is given a unique redemption address. And so when you have that address, if you have TUSD on Binance, you can just send it directly to that address. We will know that is associated with your account and then we'll initiate the burn and send the wire out from there. And so that's even that's even easier than moving it onto an exchange and then you know moving back into fiat from there. And is there are there any fees associated or any other costs associated with that process of uh, redemption or, or uh, and burning and and uh, creation? Yeah, that, that's an excellent question as well. Uh, and, and I should have mentioned that. You know, so all of the exchanges will have fees. We actually don't have fees on creation or redemption other than, you know, any sort of international wiring fee, right? If we're wiring money to Latin America, maybe there's a $75 fee or something. And you accept wires from any bank, basically, that has like Swift and, uh, you know, that can accept wire transfers. So no limits uh, aside from like, you know, uh, you know terrorist countries and, and that sort of thing. Basically, yep. any bank can send it. Yeah, you know, any bank that supports U.S. dollars, we can send it to. And and yeah, you know, no OFAC sanctioned countries or, or anything like that. So what is the time that it takes from the uh, wire to having the, the TUSD sent? I mean, you recently announced that you had decreased that time significantly uh so what are you guys at now and do you see that improving or or what are the the bottlenecks for making that faster yes so right now it's it's going to be either same day or next day uh sort of depending what time you send the wire in right if you send it in at like one o'clock in the morning it's going to be next day if you send it in at you know sometime in the morning it's going to be the same day we yeah we we did decrease the time so that once the wire settles your tusd will be created in less than 15 minutes, which is great. Uh, you know, on, on the wiring side, it's, you know, really just uh, continuing to work with the banks so that they can be faster and, and more timely on that. But uh, we hope to get to the point where it is always same day. But still right now, a lot of times it is next day. And you guys mentioned that you're working with multiple uh, partners for providing uh, these escrow and custodial services of the funds. So are, are each of these uh, accounts segregated or are they pooled? Yes, no, uh, good question. They, they are segregated accounts. You know, we want to make sure that our funds are separate from other funds. And so how do you, when, when someone is burning tokens, how do you uh, I guess determine which tokens to burn. I guess on that side, are they segregated? Like corresponding tokens correspond to a certain escrow account? 
Um, I'm I'm not completely following the question, but so you know when when each user gets set up with an account in our app, they will be pushed onto one of our uh, escrow partners. You know whether that's Prime Trust or Alliance Trust, and then you know you can sort of think of it like you know. Well, because, you know, so here's things. Let's say someone mints 10,000 to USD, but then tries to redeem 20,000 to USD, right? And, you know, that, which, which is totally fine, by the way. But, you know, if someone did that, I guess what you're saying is their funds would not be then segregated in the same pool. Yeah, because they would be trying to redeem more funds than they have. So they would have to get the remaining remainder of those funds from a different pool, I guess. If it's yeah. the same person. Yeah, I mean, like on, on our end, I guess... Uh, good question. I, I haven't personally thought about that, but I mean, it's all sort of coming from the same place. Um, you know, if it were a point where one of the pools were low, you know, we would just sort of port them to the other, you know, the other uh, trust company. And you guys are working also with Cohen's as your partner for auditing. So you guys do pretty frequent auditing uh, to uh, maintain the what we were talking about earlier with uh, proof of reserves so um can you tell me a little bit of that audit process and um and so that's that's technically not an audit that's technically just a, a certification of some type and that's needed for regulatory uh reasons because you guys are based in nevada is that right uh Yes. Uh, yes and no. So we, you know, we work with Cohen and Company, which is an accounting firm in the U.S. And they, yeah, and you're correct. They don't provide an audit. They provide what's called an attestation, which I'll usually kind of call like a, an audit light of our funds. They'll come in on a monthly basis, and, and we published all of these on our website going back to March at blog.trusttoken.com. And they'll, they'll publish an attestation basically asserting the amount that we have held in escrow across the accounts, along with uh, a, a sort of certification that there have been no material changes to our terms of service, right? So besides just verifying their funds, they're also coming in and verifying that, hey, you know, the trust token team has not made it so that, you know, they can run away with your funds and you have no legal rights or anything. So uh, they'll come in and do that on a, on a monthly basis. Um, and was there a second part to that question? No, that's that's all of it. Oh, Thank okay. you. Yeah. So, do you think there is a demand for uh, another type of stablecoin for, let's say, euro or yen or other types of uh, foreign currencies, um, or or baskets of currencies, or or other types of uh, representations of uh, financial asset, financial uh, instruments? Yes, I definitely do think there is demand for other fiat-backed stablecoins. I think right now, right now it's tough to say which one um, would have the most demand. You know, unfortunately, I think some of the most interesting ones are also countries that have, you know, strict capital controls where, you know, it's a bit tougher to operate in those countries. You know, things like KRW or you know, JPY, where the government has a, a bit more of a heavy hand. I think those are very interesting countries. They're just a little bit tougher to operate and and do business in. I'm also curious in you know just other models of stablecoins broadly. You know, 
you know, there's so many algorithmic stable coins that are either in development, you know, actually, yeah, all, all of them are in development. None of them are live. I'm really curious to see what happens when, you know, maybe one or two of those go live this year, you know, maybe like Terra or, or reserve. I'm, I'm super interested. Yeah, so there's these uh, algorithm. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between the algorithm-backed stablecoin and the uh, and what you guys are, which is an asset-backed stablecoin. So can you define uh, the difference between those two? Yes, I, I'd say broadly, there's actually three buckets. There's you know us, which you know we're we're fiat collateralized, but I guess you could kind of broaden that to be asset-backed. Then there's ones like Dai that are crypto collateralized. And then there are the algorithmic ones. You know, on, in the algorithmic camp, the most famous was Basis or Basecoin, which raised $133 million in April and then um, closed down in December, or, or maybe that was November. Yeah. yeah, I think it was December, November, yeah, around then. Yeah, but you know, there's there's a couple other of those as well. I mean, the big thing there is that they are, you know, we call them algorithmic, but I think that they could also just be called unbacked stable coins. Right, so they are not backed by any sort of collateral, and they rely on, you know, complex algorithms to keep the price stable. So, you know, you can kind of think of them as like recreating a you know, Federal Reserve and you know, kind of being the money printer. Whereas in our case, you know, you're just collateral. You're kind of just tokenizing the dollar. Um, I, I think that there's there's definitely interest in the algorithmic camp because. I think that they're probably a bit more profitable than the fiat collateralized model in that, you know, they usually have a two token model where, you know, maybe the second token appreciates in, in, uh, uh, in, in relative value to the, the actual dollar pegged token. Yeah. And it's, there's probably some overlap, uh, between those crypto collateralized like die and an algo coin, like base coin would have been or a Terra reserve. Um, because I think that, uh, you know, the algo coin, um, you know, and, and the die are somewhat similar, uh, because like you said, there's the two different coins with the die and you have the maker and then the, the die coin and there's some, some complex, you know, uh, you know, relationship between how those are issued and how that value is stabilized, uh, between the two, uh, which, probably has some overlap with uh, the algo-based uh, stable coins. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, I mean, to, to Dai's credit, though, I mean, they've, uh, you know, they've really done great since they launched. They launched uh, about a month before us. Um, actually, a couple months before us, but, but I guess, you know, we announced the month, month after they launched. And, uh, yeah, they've done great, and, and it's definitely maintained stability, which, which has been impressive, uh, you know, considering everything that's happened over the past year. Yeah, so Dai launched, I guess, like you said, around the same time you did. But I think that they had their that second currency, uh, that second cryptocurrency, which was issued quite a bit before that, at least a few years uh, yeah. before uh, the Dai. And yeah. And so the, the maker that was issued quite a bit before the die, but it wasn't until a few years later that they actually issued the stablecoin component of that. Right, right, right. But yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly interesting. You know, blockchain.com put out this amazing report back in, 
I think it was September, and they are putting out an updated version very soon. I, I just saw a preview of it. And there are something like 53 stable coins in development or launched around the world. And, you know, I, my theory is that that is just completely unnecessary. You know, I definitely don't think we need 53 plus stable coins. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe we need one for every major currency or something. But even now, most of those teams are not looking at different currencies. They're all looking to either also do U.S. dollar or do some sort of algorithmic stablecoin. On the U.S. dollar side, you know, I think the appeal there of doing a, a U.S. dollar-backed stablecoin is that um, it, it's fairly easy to spin up. You know, frankly, you know, all of us have open source code, and you know, if you know you really wanted to, you could probably just copy that. And then you know, getting the banking relationships and, and stuff is a bit tough, but you know, definitely easier to do it in the U.S. than virtually any other country. So you've seen a lot of teams do that, but you know, it's clear that liquidity is king and that if you can't get listed on the big exchanges and you know, you're, you're just not going to grow that way. Then you also see dozens of algorithmic stablecoins launching. My theory there is that after Basis raised you know, $133 million in April, teams saw that and said, OK, if we can raise even a quarter of that, you know, if we can raise something like 30 or $40 million, we'll be able to do that and we'll be in a good place. And now that Basis has closed their doors and proven you know, both how difficult it is from a regulatory and technical perspective, I think a lot of those other teams will be dissuaded to continue working on these projects. And so we have 53 stablecoins now in development or launched. I would be surprised if you know, another 10 of those gained a market cap over $20 million this year. Yeah, so Basis was uh, founded by uh, Nader and uh, a few other folks. And uh, like you said, they raised quite a bit of uh, funds from uh, some, you know, top tier VC funds. And yeah. then, you know, recently announced that they were returning all the funds and they decided not to pursue the project further. I, I reached out to Nader. I mean, I had heard him speak at uh, an event in Silicon Valley uh, like a you know couple like a year or so ago and um, I wanted to get his uh, thoughts on uh, why basis failed and what some of those challenges were because I think that's like a really interesting story um, and obviously there's a lot of upside but do you think that the difficulties the difficulty that they encountered was on the technical side for actually achieving this type of uh, stablecoin through this uh, algorithmic mechanism? Or do you think that uh, diff uh, the, the issue that they encountered, the challenge, the roadblock they faced that caused them to return the funds was on the side of, you know, regulatory feasibility uh, and legality uh, of this? And obviously, this is just your speculation as an outsider, but I'm Curious what your thoughts are in terms of what led to that uh, decision to to return and and uh, close up shop. Yeah, I mean, if I remember correctly from the blog post they put out, they said that it that it was you know kind of a regulatory thing. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, when they did the fundraise, they they you know it definitely looked like they were kind of selling a security. And again, I think that's what they touched on in the in the blog post, where 
they said basically the transfer of their I, I, again I, I might be butchering this but the transfer of their second token would be limited to accredited investors and that would really sort of kill the whole thing and so in that sense it was definitely regulatory um Again, I, I, this is speculation, but I would be surprised also if they had solved all of the technical intricacies associated with this. If they did solve all the technical intricacies, I would love to see them, you know, sort of publish some of that and allow other teams to build on some of that research. Yeah, I think that there will probably be a lot of uh, a number of stable coins that are asset backed because it seems like as you said that is a, a lot easier of a task to accomplish from the technical and regulatory perspective and maybe over time with further research and further regulatory development there'll be the you know uh, you know uh, some some other algo based stable coins that appear and uh, Terra and Reserve, like you said, are some of the two that are working on that now. Um, so, in theory, there could be uh, stable coins, a market of stable coins traded against each other, uh, crypto stable coins for each um, major currency that tracks the 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 trading of the forex, the spot trading on the forex market. Uh, so you could have like a, a market that is uh, a long going uh, that is. Uh, being traded alongside the actual forex markets, but just the crypto cryptocurrency equivalent of those. Uh, yep, there's definitely a lot of exciting things still to develop in the stablecoin realm, specifically on the forex side. Yeah, so there's uh, forex, and then there's uh, baskets of uh, stable coin, uh, stable coins, and then bonds. So where where is the revenue generated uh, for these stablecoin projects like? Uh, Chuyas dollar or uh, you know Gemini dollar or some of these other stable coins that are asset backed. Uh, uh, where where is it profitable for companies to to develop this product and how do they generate revenue from them? Yep. So you know different between the three models, but in the fiat backed model, the business model is that you earn interest on the funds held in escrow, right? So I, I, you know it's the kind of same playbook that uh, you know many of the sort of like new banks or you know things like Venmo use where you're just holding people's money and, and earning the interest on that. So in that case, is there a risk of like a bank run or um, what, the equivalent of a bank run where everyone wants to get their funds back? It's, I'm guessing it's not like fractional reserve, like a regular bank lends out funds uh, and uh, under a fractional reserve model. So uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, you know, the difference is how you're able to earn interest from the funds that are being held in reserve, but not be subject to the, the risk of, uh, you know, that type of uh, scenario where everyone wants to burn at the same time. Yeah. So, I, you know, all, all we're having our banking partner invest in is, you know, overnight T-bills, you know, sort of one day note type stuff. So, you know, it's it, low interest, but it's definitely a scale game, right? I mean, you know, the the... So the revenue earned on that at 200 million is okay. The revenue earned on that at 2 billion is really nice. Mm -hmm. um, I, I suppose that there is like, if in some case everyone wanted to redeem 200 million on the same day that, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, even the discussions we've had with our banks, I mean, that, that is definitely possible. That's, that's a fairly unlikely scenario, but it, 
it is still possible. I think they just kind of call early on some of these things. And so you guys are also partnered with Nexo. Uh, Nexo is the uh, crypto back loan platform. We actually had another crypto back loan platform on our podcast. Uh, um, oh, I'm blanking on their name uh, right now, uh, but um, so. Uh, you guys uh, have partnered with them, and so what does that partnership consist of? Uh, yeah, so so you can basically put your, you know, you can loan your TUSD to Nexo and then earn, I think it is 7% interest on the TUSD. And we, we've partnered with a couple of these different companies now. Uh, Nexo is definitely the biggest, um, but, but there are some smaller ones that we've had discussions with as well. Frankly, I'm not sure if those are public or not. So I... I don't want to mention that now, but, but there's a lot of these companies out there now where you can loan your crypto to them and then earn an interest rate on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's quite a few out there. And there's also some platforms that do like staking uh, where they're just kind of like a central platform where you can send your funds and then they'll stake them for you on these protocols that offer staking type of rewards. Um can't i'm blanking on the name of that platform too but it's one where you can earn interest by um you know lending basically lending them your your tokens and then they use that on you know for margin trading or you know for for staking so like when ethereum launches the staking uh, model you'll be able to just give them the tokens and they'll um you know hold them earn interest on them and give give you a percentage of that um so, yeah you know, like you know, there's all of these interesting, you know, innovations and, and businesses being built on top of other businesses in crypto, and we definitely hope to keep seeing more and more of that. Uh, you know, whether it's on the lending side, whether it's on maybe the remittance side, or you know, I think that there's all these interesting places for stable coins to play into. Yeah, absolutely. We're also we're excited uh, to see all the new uh, developments in the cryptocurrency space with uh, uh, that will let people earn interest on their crypto. Um, so uh, let's just go on and pause. We'll cut, uh, go off the record. So we're, I've covered a lot of pretty much everything that I had uh, prepared in terms of like the inner workings of how the platform works. Um, yeah, that's, there a, any, that's a lot of yeah. great questions. Yeah, thanks. Are there any uh, you know things that you think we we missed uh, that you think we should uh, discuss in, in in greater detail? No, no, I, I, that was very thorough. I think I got I got all, all my talking points in there too. So that was uh, that was good. Okay, and I just thought of that loan back to Block Five. Have you heard of them? They're based in New York. Block yes, Five. Yes. I've got a, an open email thread with them right now. I, I think they, they've onboarded with us. I just don't know that. I don't. I don't know that they've seen demand yet to loan stable coins. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We had Zach, uh, the CEO, on the podcast uh, in November. Oh, cool. And uh, talked about. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we could uh, briefly talk about the the team that you guys have put together. Uh, you guys are a team consisting of uh graduates from you know top schools like stanford and you're based in the uh silicon valley um so 
tell me a little bit about the how many folks you have on the on the team now and how you guys uh, spend uh, your time and what projects you have coming up yeah so we are yeah so we are a team of i think we're about 30 people now give or take one or two and yeah yeah we, we you know we've got folks coming from all the good universities and you know big silicon valley companies uh, that uh you know that everyone seems to have on their resumes mm-hmm. i'd say the two big focuses for us you know th- throughout the life of the company frankly and this is, has been consistent has been engineering and really legal as well you know I, I've made the joke that, you know, crypto has been better for lawyers probably than anybody else. You know, I mean, there's never been a better time to be a securities lawyer. You know, when you have a bunch of well-funded projects that are operating in a gray legal zone, uh, you know, there's a lot of fees to be made. Um, but but on that note, you know, we've hired a really, really great legal team as well. You know, our, our, one of the first hires at Trust Token was, uh, you know, our brilliant in-house legal, Michael Bland. And we've recently hired uh, another guy, Alex Levine, who was formerly at like the SEC, the OCC, and, you know, some other three or four letter government agency in the US. So uh, yeah, you know, definitely really doubled down on, on the legal side of things and legal and compliance. Um, in addition to engineering, pulled out a lot of great engineers from places like DoorDash, Snapchat, um, Consensus, etc. So that's been good. Um, project wise, what, what we're looking at now, you know, we've still got some some improvements to do on the engineering side to our our app at app.trusttoken.com, making that as easy as is humanly possible for people to move in and out of TUSD and dollars. Um, I think some other projects are, you know, other stable coins, it seems to be difficult to move in and out. We want it to be as easy as possible. So continuing to do some work on that. And then also looking to build some sort of, um, some kind of complementary or tangential things for to, to TUSD to, you know, just make it easier to hold TUSD around the world to sort of use TUSD as as a bank account almost. And well, can you expand on that? What like you mean like a, a hosted wallet where like similar to some other platforms that have uh, that let users you know store their funds and access them and send them and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. You know, we don't have any sort of mobile experience now. You know, a mobile experience is something that we've thought about as well. There's a lot of countries where we'd love to see people using TUSD, but you know, frankly, the the uh, you know the mobile adoption is very high in a lot of these developing countries, but the computer or laptop penetration is much lower. So, just making it easier for people to send, store, and and hopefully be able to use TUSD um, eventually as well. I've I've been living in Asia for the past few months, and I, I'm I'm in Shenzhen, China at the moment. And I mean, uh, you know, the the experience with WeChat Pay and Alipay in Asia really is pretty amazing. I mean, I'll pull out my credit card sometimes and I feel like I'm in the Stone Ages. I mean, people, you know, kind of I mean, I'm not joking. People will laugh at me if they see me pull out a credit card. Um, So, you know, to the extent that, you know, in some of these developing nations, you know, that we could have TUSD act as a similar experience with QR code payments, I think that would be pretty amazing. And it would really lead to interesting and, and profound growth. And do you see the support for, uh, do you think it makes sense for, you know, brick and mortar types of uh, merchants to accept uh, crypto stable coins? Or is that sort of, uh, what's the word, I guess? Um, it's, it's kind of unnecessary if they're already just accepting the, 
the fiat version of that. Yeah. Listen, like, you know, if you're a Whole Foods in the United States, you probably don't need to accept any crypto, right? You're you're fine with credit card and and Apple Pay and cash. If you are in a, say, developing country where you want access to U.S. dollars or, you know, you live in a place that has a highly volatile or deflationary currency and you prefer to keep things in U.S. dollars up until the point where maybe you have to pay a bill and you need to convert into the local currency, I think TUSD holds a lot of, you know, strong use there that really hasn't been tapped into yet. So that's one of the things we're exploring at the moment. Yeah, just as a side note, I noticed you on your website have Terry Lee as your Solidity engineer. Uh, I don't know if he still works for you guys, but he was an internship for for our platform. He did an internship with us at Bounty Zero X uh, before uh, he he left and I think started working for you guys. And he did a lot of great work for us uh, on the blockchain side. He's a Solidity engineer and helped us with our staking mechanism for our token. And um, it, it was a great uh, member of our team. So happy to hear he's you know, uh, over working with you guys and hopefully doing a good job. Uh, no, your, I, I, team. yeah, I had no idea. I, you know, I, I knew he was at consensus. I didn't know um, throw like some of the stuff he worked on there. But yeah, Terry is uh, is, is an excellent engineer and also like a Division One swimmer, which is you know very very cool. Yeah. Uh, great. So. Uh, maybe one other thing we can talk about is what your your uh, daily responsibilities and how you spend your day as the business lead for Trust Token and what uh, your purview is uh, at the company and what type of uh, uh, daily work you do. Yeah, certainly. So I'd say, like you know, so historically, the three main buckets I've focused on have been. Um, you know, partnering with exchanges, OTC desks, and market makers. So the people that are most heavily using or enabling the use of TUSD right now. At this point, I'd say that we are integrated, you know, with all, you know, all the big exchanges, Binance will be OKX, um, traded and supported by the large OTC desks, you know, Cumberland, Genesis, um, et cetera. And, you know, traded by many, many dozens of market makers and, and institutions and individuals as well. So we've done a lot of the, the heavy legwork there. Now we're really starting to explore some more partnerships, have maybe some deeper integrations with some of the wallets, start to work with a lot more of these lending companies, you know, like Nexo I, I had mentioned. Um, and, then, and then also just exploring new use cases of TUSD. You know, I think we've got a good grasp on, uh, you know, how to get to 200 million. You know, I think we've got a good idea of how to get to 300 million. And then the question is, how do we grow TUSD to a billion? You know, is it going to be all based on exchange traded volumes or is there going to be, you know, new use cases we have to develop? So spending a lot of uh, cycles on that right now. You know, and and these are things like remittance, you know, remittance use cases, uh, you know, helping teams to maybe fundraise using TUSD, using TUSD to pay out dividends on STO platforms, you know, whatever it's going to be. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of uh, exciting uh, potential use cases and integrations that you guys have. Uh, yeah, working, yeah, that you're working on. Thank you, thank you. I, I put a little plug in there. You know, if anyone's listening and would like to partner with us, feel free to just shoot me an email, just Ryan at trusttoken.com. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 
trusttoken.com uh, was where people can go to learn more. They can sign up and they can uh, register, uh, complete the KYC process, and then wire funds. And from within the app, they can uh, receive the funds and then send them out. And then likewise, they can uh, you know, convert their TUSC tokens to US dollar. Uh, so maybe we can just briefly talk about the, uh, I guess the the trust token. Uh, is there a date that you guys are planning on uh, issuing that and launching the trust token? Um, good question. I don't know. I don't actually know what what we disclosed most recently. So I don't I don't want to say anything on here that is incorrect. Um, okay. But but the target is is definitely this year. Great. All right. Well, we're looking forward to hearing about that and. You guys are welcome to come back on again and uh, talk about it when you're ready to make a, an announcement about that and share it with our audience. I think everyone would love to hear about it. Yeah, that'd be great. And uh, thank you for all the very thoughtful questions today. Yeah, my pleasure. It was, a, it was great having you on. Uh, our guest on the show today is uh, Ryan uh, Roddenbaugh. He's the uh, business development lead at Trust Token. And... Uh, You'll, we'll have links in the show notes uh, where people can learn more and uh, follow. So thanks, Ryan. It was great having you on. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bounty Zero X podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast below. Check out BountyZeroX.io, the number one bounty hunting platform where you can complete work and earn cryptocurrency. Please consult your professional financial investment and tax advisors before making any investment in initial coin offerings. Bounty Zero X does not provide investment or financial advice and does not endorse or recommend investment in any ICOs advertised on the Bounty Zero X podcast or website.